This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. We've got uh, championships to discuss. We've got some disappointments in postseason as well. Uh, we've got terrific guests that will be with us as well. Gabby Sanchez will be here to break down the ACC Baseball Championship at 8.30. And at 9.30, Scott Forbes, whose Carolina baseball team yesterday captured the ACC Baseball Championship, will join us. Uh, we will talk to them. Uh, it is a championship on a national scale in women's lacrosse. Uh, Boston College and Carolina staging a terrific title fight yesterday at Johns Hopkins at Baltimore we will recap that as well. Um, but we've also got some disappointments here, too. Softball. Oh, my goodness. Uh, just some tough, tough deals in softball for uh, both Duke and Clemson especially, and then for Virginia Tech, who seemingly had it rolling, and then it rained. Uh, and after winning the resumption of the rain game on Saturday morning, the Hokies, and it did not end well at all, including yesterday's uh, finale against the Florida Gators. So we'll talk about all that coming up. Drew is here. Packer remains, remains on vacation in Italy. And if you don't know, he's posting a lot for someone that said, hey, I'm going to be off the grid once the plane takes off. Uh, Packer has continued and including uh, Friday's getaway photo, Drew. I don't know if you've laid eyes on this. It's kind of a family show we like to think here in the mornings. but And then we had the favorite Italian meal. Uh, in Florence, the dish is something. Look at this. It's got asparagus in it. I can make that out. Uh, any ideas what he's eating there? Something with pasta and asparagus? Uh, well, Wes, I don't know exactly what it is, but I can tell you it's way too small to be my favorite meal on any vacation. I mean, how does that even fit in the frame? How can that be your favorite meal, Pack? I know you've been giving up sweets and booze and bread for the entire year so maybe your stomach has shrunk but pack that looks good but it's way too small and then this is what he was doing in florence on the last day some tradition you gotta rub a pig's nose i don't know what it is but yeah he's been posting a lot we know one thing about italy wes the wi-fi is really good (laughs) the wi-fi is excellent uh i want to go back and make sure we get Rubbing the Porcelino's nose for good luck and a return visit to Florence. So there you go. That was the Porcelino. I gotta. I'll figure that out later. That's the. Is that look like? It looks like a boar to me. It's it's a boar. Yeah, it looks like a boar. I I can't say I've ever heard of that tradition. Uh, but good for Pack. You know, return trip. I I hope he gets it because this vacation hasn't been long enough. So I hope he can go back to Florence sometime soon. Can we go back to the picture real quick? Because he looks like he's in the uh, market again in Florence. Yeah, see the handbags on display in the back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pat's in the market yeah. again. Huh? Those actually okay. aren't for sale. That's just everything Mrs. P bought. That's actually her new closet. <laughs> Those all belong to Mrs. P. Hey, here's the other thing, too. Uh, Alex, hang on to this picture real quick. Has anybody noticed that in Packer's ACC Network hat, the sticker is still on the hat for street cred. Have we noticed that yet? So that people in Italy know, hey, Dude. this is a brand new hat. Wes, that was the first thing I noticed, actually. I'm like, I know I should be focused on, <laughs> hey, the fact that Pax in Florence and this is a cool tradition, but that was the first thing I noticed, too. It's like, what are you doing, dude? You 
worked for the network since it launched. Can we take the sticker off? Or when did he get that hat? Did he buy that in, in Florence? Are there ACC network hats know. available in Florence? <laughs> if there are, that's a story. Um, the I might, Is that a new hat? Drew Brooks is our producer. Ian Casey are doing the show today. I mean, did Pat call and get a new hat for the trip? Because <laughs> I'm beginning to believe. I think it's an old hat, but he never took the sticker off. He's got the sticker on for street cred. Nice pack. Right. <laughs> for street cred. I remember that was in style like 10 years ago to keep the stickers on your hat. Uh, but yeah, I don't know about any more. Now, I have an ACC football hat. When I was a student at Syracuse, yeah. my buddy Tyler went to ACC football media days, and he got me one of these hats. I have yet to receive it's any good. free swag from Aaron Katzman and Co. in Bristol. So, still waiting. Oh, so you're going to play the Dana Boyle game. You're just going to start telling everybody you don't have any swag and then hope that Katzman, like, bags up some stuff and sends it to you, like he did for Dana, including <laughs> I, a Packer and Durham I'm shirt, completely... by the way. Dana got a Packer and Durham shirt, which is very limited, let alone the mugs, let alone the hats, which don't exist anymore. So that's what you're hoping for is you want some ACC in gear. Now, what you really need to hold out for, Drew, is the Peter Millar quarter zip that Katzman walks around in that has ACC network on it and this cool backpack duffel thing that has ACC network on it because Katzman's the only one I know that's got that Peter Millar deal. And the other one, the the bag thing, I saw at Amelia Island. I was like, whoa, that thing's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, we got these. Oh, okay. Well – (laughs) <laughs> we don't have those. You have those. So there we go. All right. Um, He's the boss. Let's get to the championship. Yeah. Oh, he is the boss. He can do whatever he wants, man. He can do whatever <laughs> he wants. He's in charge. All right. Let's get to the championships here. North Carolina won the lacrosse title yesterday in Baltimore. Just a remarkable weekend, by the way, of women's lacrosse uh, at Johns Hopkins here. The two semifinal games are phenomenal. And, Drew, I thought yesterday's title game was – sure, it was two ACC teams, so we've got a vested interest. But I thought for the sport, you couldn't have asked for a better moment in women's lacrosse. Well, Wes, I was watching that game yesterday, and in the moment, I was thinking, this might be the best lacrosse game I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about mm. that quote from Andy Bernard in the office finale where I wish you knew you <laughs> were in the good old days before you've actually left them. And I feel like typically we – crown a game or a team the best we've ever seen retroactively but I was watching that game and in the fourth right. quarter it was 8-8-9-9-10-10 it's the one versus the three mm-hmm. it's the unbeaten team against the bugaboo for the last two years it's the maybe the greatest player of all time in Charlotte North in her last game and I'm thinking right. this is the greatest game I've ever seen in this sport and it, mm-hmm. it, it delivered the the finish was great Carolina caps off the unbeaten season it's pretty poetic 22-0 in the year 2022 It was just unbelievable. And the entire weekend, and you're so right, Wes, about the stage for the sport. You're in a historic venue at Homewood Field. It's sold out. Mm -hmm. You've got the BC fans who have traveled. They're in their neon. They're loud. It's on ESPN for the first time. ESPN 1, not 2 or the U or ESPN News or any of that. It's on ESPN 1 after they finished their little F1 race over in Europe. I think Packer might have been at that one as well. But they finally got it on ESPN 1, and man, that game delivered. So if anyone was watching lacrosse for the first time yesterday, they saw a show. 
Yeah, I, it's Carolina's third championship, by the way, going with 2013 and 2016. But for Jenny Levy and this uh, this senior class in particular, it's a it's a return to a stage where, quite frankly, they've been denied on the national scale. Now they've had no problem winning four straight ACC titles, as we all know. Uh, they went 83 and nine in five years with four Final Fours. But this year in particular, as Drew said, they're 16-0 against ranked teams. They're 9-0 against top 10. They're 5-0 against the top five. And it seemed like, even from the very beginning of the year, that these two schools in particular were destined to hit a couple different ways. They did during the regular season. Champion, the regular season match was unbelievable. Championship game of the ACC, there was a little bit of separation there. And then to come back and play yesterday and to have it kind of be the game it was – uh, you know, 12-11 is not the wheelhouse of either school. Both are very offensive geared. But I thought Rachel Hall did a terrific job in goal yesterday for Boston College, especially in the first half. And then Taylor Marino is terrific for Carolina and was late yesterday. In fact, when you think about the way the game ended with BC and Charlotte North with an opportunity at a shot before at the end of the game, that's kind of the way you'd want the script to be written. Whether it's a make or miss – uh, you still get the moment you want. And I think that was really what the game let it lended itself to all afternoon was you got a lot of moments leading up to the end, and that's great for the sport because, as we know, and you know certainly because you followed it for years for long, far longer than I have, the spectacular nature of those two teams is driven by the development of the sport on a bigger scale, and that's what we got yesterday for the national championship. Yeah, it goes both ways, too. I mean, I think those two teams are hugely responsible for the growth of the sport. Like, if if Charlotte North isn't playing for Boston College for the last three years, I don't mm-hmm. know if that game gets on ESPN. It might be, I don't know, that might be a lot to say, but Charlotte North is a transcendent player. I think we're going to look back on her right. career and say that's, that's sort of an inflection point for the sport because not only is she so good and the numbers are so great, but the way she does it is spectacular to watch. I mean, the stuff she does on the eight meter with the wind up and you might as well cue up the jaws music when she's winding up a shot from the fan. It's, it's incredible. Um, but you know, Carolina's a story here and they're the, the sixth undefeated national champion in the last 25 years. And the only other schools to do it are Northwestern and Maryland. And when you're talking royalty of women's lacrosse, those are the two names. Uh, for 20 mm. years or so, they basically <laughs> traded it back and forth. Maryland won six in a row at one point. Northwestern won a bunch in a row at another point. And so for Carolina to be in that company and go 22-0, and 0, I mean, they established themselves. And Jenny Levy, who's going to join us later on in the show, I think, established herself as royalty in women's lacrosse. And it's so great that we have these two teams in the ACC because – even though Charlotte North is gone, BC's got a bunch of people coming back. Carolina, yeah, they had a bunch of transfers and a bunch of grad students, but they're going to be back. I mean, these are the two teams in the sport. They could do this again next year. <laughs> yeah, no question. I think you're right about BC. They bring back uh, some contributors. So does Carolina. It's uh, it's not just a flash for either school. Uh, the other championship decided yesterday <clears throat> was on the conference level, and it was in Uptown Charlotte. Vance Honeycutt, a uh, freshman at Carolina, homered twice early in the championship game, drove in five runs. The Tar Heels, the eighth seed, uh, beat the 10 seed NC State 9-5 at, uh, at Truist Field. They had a sellout house of 10-5 yesterday to watch that. Uh, K- 
Carolina, who, of course, had, uh, had won the previous day against Notre Dame. And then um, NC State had advanced with the win over Pitt, gets Scott Forbes his ACC championship. And Coach Forbes will join us in the 9 o'clock hour, about 9.30 this morning. Carolina also found out yesterday they're one of four ACC schools that's going to host the regional in the opening of the NCAA baseball championship, which starts later this week on Friday. Uh, they joined Virginia Tech, Miami, and Louisville as host schools in the NCAA tournament. I think, uh, Drew, we were talking about this a moment ago. Top seeds are going to come out, uh, what, top eight seeds come out in about an hour, less than an hour, is that right, this morning? And then at noon, the full bracket will be displayed over on ESPNU. So we'll keep tabs on that. Um, I would say the ACC has a better than average chance, I think, to at least have, what, two of the eight, maybe three or four of the eight, I guess is possible, depending on the way the committee looks at it. Um, Tough trip for Louisville to Charlotte. They went 0-2 in pool play, so we'll see how the Cardinals – are judged by the committee based on that. Uh, but we're off and running. we got to come back. We'll get to the lacrosse semifinals. Carolina-BC gave you a great stage. But on the way to the stage, they both had to fight for their lives, especially Carolina. A remarkable comeback in the first semifinal on Friday. Got Carolina to the championship game. BC had to rally to beat Maryland as well to set up an all-ACC final. But we'll talk about the Tar Heels capturing the lacrosse national championship on the ladies side packer and durham drew carter's in for mark and our monday program underway on accn the packer and durham podcast this is the packer and durham podcast packer and durham it's a monday on acc network happy memorial day hope you remember those who have protected our freedom and served our country and paid its highest price in doing so. It's great to have Drew Carter here the first couple of days of the week. Uh, all right, let's go back to this women's lacrosse uh, Final Four because as much as we celebrate BC and Carolina playing for the championship, Drew, we almost walked ourselves into Northwestern and uh, Maryland because, quite frankly, it could have been just as easily a Big Ten final as it was an ACC final on Saturday. What Carolina did to come back and beat Northwestern is crazy. I mean, you don't, I mean, you've, like I said earlier, you've done far more lacrosse than I have. You don't ever see that happen. Coming back from what, seven goals in nine minutes or so? Yeah, it was 14 7 in the fourth quarter. They scored the last eight goals of the game. They trailed by as many as eight. Sam Geiersbach had five fourth quarter goals to lead them to a win. I mean, Wes, you can go back to the first quarter with six love Northwestern. They came out, they punched him in right. the mouth. And then, because yeah. Jenny Levy, who, by the way, is not joining us, I jumped the gun. I was so excited. I was hopeful that Jenny Levy would be coming on the show today. Not today. Hopefully later on in the week. But Jenny Levy is such a good coach. She called in the rain. They got a little rain delay in Baltimore, and then Carolina came out swinging. <laughs> but even after that, even after they flipped the script and they came back from down 6-0, they were still trailing by 8. And they had to come all the way back. You're right, Wes. That, that was an insane comeback. That's one where I think you zip them up in the body bag when they're down eight in the second half. And that offense is so dynamic. And, and big shout out to Sam Geiersbach because you got Ortega and Aldave and Mastriani. You got two Tawaratan finalists on this offense. And Geiersbach is the one who carries them all the way back against Northwestern, which is just a testament to the culture of that program. And 
a player like Geiersbach, who's kind of in the background for the majority of the season, being ready to step up when they need her is mm-hmm. just super impressive. Yeah, the eight-goal comeback, by the way, is the largest by any team on an NCAA championship weekend since Virginia came from nine down uh, in 2007 uh, in a semifinal to beat Duke. Uh, The same kind of accord was also scripted by Boston College. However, it's not nearly as dramatic from a comeback standpoint. They trailed 16-13 with just over seven minutes left to go. Cassidy Weeks scores. Charlotte North had six goals in the game, and that's the only reason Maryland's not in this thing. But BC, uh, you know, again, I I can't – you mentioned Jenny Levy, and I'll throw Acacia Walker-Weinstein in there too. These two coaches do just such a terrific job with their programs and the mindset to keep playing. And to me, Drew, they're two of the best passing teams in lacrosse, men, women – Dog cat, I mean, playing lacrosse. It's phenomenal to watch them move the ball around the field. Yeah, it's incredible. And and you only have all those weapons putting up great numbers if you can pass the ball like they do. Uh, and BC, I mean, I think if we had a dime for every time we said this sentence on ACC Network, we'd all be rich. But we all talk about Charlotte North, but they've got all these weapons and Cassidy Weeks and Caitlin Mossman. I mean, those would have been like five and six on your list of who's going to play hero for Boston College. But it's those two who do it down the stretch for BC to knock off Maryland. And we're talking about Maryland and Northwestern here. I said this in the A block. Those are the two premier programs in this sport. And it's kind of a changing of the guard, I think. I mean, not to look too big picture, but UNC and BC coming back from those crazy deficits sort of tells me that the ACC runs this sport now and these two programs specifically. And Syracuse was on this stage last year. So you take those three programs and those are the three, they're the cream of the crop. And you see Charlotte North. I mean, yeah, we talk about Charlotte North, but Charlotte North still had six goals and that went over Maryland in the semifinals. And then she had a bunch more in the championship in the loss against North Carolina. Right. But, you know, the way she transcends the sport and the BC system, it's, I mean, it's spectacular to watch. It's basically the best ticket in sports, no matter what the sport is, I think. Yeah. Um, all right. This is probably the part of the program where we should at least try and qualify the career of Charlotte North here. She finishes with 358 goals. It's the most in Division One. We know that. She had four goals yesterday. She had 10 goals over the weekend. That's 92 for the season. Um. I, I Again, it was funny. My wife came back. She was watching the last quarter with me basically yesterday afternoon. And I said, this girl number eight here is probably the greatest women's lacrosse player of all time. And she's like, "That just that? I said, yeah, just that. Where do we qualify, at least on the front end, Drew, Charlotte North? Well, Wes, I think all you can do is try to make cross-sport comparisons because – I'm with you, man. I think Mm. she is the greatest women's lacrosse player ever. Now, Jamie Ortega from Carolina has more career points. Kylie Olmiller from Stony Brook had a bunch more career points. But Charlotte North, to me, is the Steph Curry of women's lacrosse. Is Steph Curry the greatest Mm. basketball player ever? No. Charlotte North probably is the best women's lacrosse player. But the reason I compare them is because they changed the game. Like, you're going to see for the next 15 years – Women's lacrosse players winding up on the eight meter 
you're going to see them doing what she just did, which is sweeping across the middle of the field and shooting with both hands. You're going to see them tossing the stick like she does emphatically. I know a lot of players do that, but Charlotte North does it with as much gusto as anyone. The way she plays the game is next level, and no one's ever really done it like she does. And so the way that Steph Curry has changed how young kids play basketball, shooting from 10 feet behind the three-point line, whether you think that's a good thing or not, uh, Charlotte North has done the same thing, I think, in women's lacrosse. And we're going to see her effect on the game for as long as the game is played because I think she sort of flipped a switch here with the way she dominated, but the way she did it more specifically. Yeah, I thought it was interesting yesterday on the broadcast to listen to Dana Boyle talk about talking to young girls who were at the semifinals on Friday and at the championship game yesterday. And obviously kids coming to the game have a chance in that area. And you know that's a lacrosse hotbed, the the, the BWI area. Um, if you If you take into account what Charlotte has done to impact the sport, every one of those young girls were telling Dana they were there to watch Charlotte North play. And number one, that's an incredible testament to her as a person, let alone a player. But at the same time, too, the value of her impact here, and I think you're right, next three, five, seven years, we'll see it probably quicker than we realize. The other thing, too, is it goes back to where the sports kind of placehold is, right, Uh, in college athletics. This is a sport that is emerging, Um, much like I think, Drew, we've talked about in the past, and I know you and Pat have, the way softball has taken kind of in in some circles, uh, pardon the pun there, softball's kind of taken a a cut of the pie, right? It is clear women's lacrosse has taken a cut of the spring sports pie. Um, The fact that women's lacrosse has become a fast sport, entertaining sport. It's a sport now readily accessible uh, in markets like in Florida and in Texas where Charlotte North's from. Uh, it, it seems to me that women's lacrosse is moving up that ladder at a lot faster rate than people realize, and they see something like yesterday and they go, oh, now I see why type thing. No doubt. I think the, the sport has totally changed for the better over the last few years. You think about the advent of the shot clock, which – The fact that this sport didn't have a shot clock until last year is wild to think about because we've come so far in just two years. But it's almost like a a completely different era of the sport. And it was only three years ago that they were playing without a shot clock. But it has done wonders for the game. You can't Dean Smith four corners offense your way to a win anymore. You got to shoot. It makes the game way better. It makes it more up and down. And it makes it, you know, more able to have a comeback. Right. Like Carolina and BC probably don't play in that championship game if there was a shot clock in the semifinals because they wouldn't have been able to come back. Northwestern and Maryland would have just hung on to the ball. So it's not just the shot clock, though. It's the freedom of movement. It's after the whistle, you pick it up, you go. The clock keeps running, which I think if there are any BC fans like diehards out there, they probably saw the clock still running with under a minute left in the fourth quarter. And they're like, I actually hate this rule (laughs) because. They left the ball and they were running and then they had to come back to that spot with like 40 seconds left or so. But the changes that the sport has made are so huge. I mean, Wes, even when I was in college a few years ago at Syracuse and we were calling games on Z89 radio, there were times where we were dreading it because, as you know, Syracuse is a power. We'll be out there crushing everyone. And if you're in a a 12-goal game with 25 minutes left in the second half and no shot clock, like, what am I going to talk about? 
for the next half hour. Right. There was a time where Noah Eagle and I were calling a game on Z89. Noah's doing play-by-play, and Syracuse is up like 6 nothing on UMass. And Noah's like in the orange lead, the minute women with, looks up at the clock, 22 minutes left in the first half. And you can just hear like the deflation <laughs> in his voice. It's like, oh my gosh, we have 22 minutes until we can even go to the bathroom here. So even though it's still a 60-minute game, putting quarters in there is huge as well. Mm. Because we just talked about swings and momentum and runs for both teams. That's another way to generate that and have back and forth games. And yesterday in the championship, which again, I think is probably the greatest game of all time, considering the stakes and the characters involved. Like that was the culmination of two or three years of really positive rule changes for the sport, which have left it in an awesome place. Yeah. Uh, we told you about the, uh, the accolades that North Carolina senior class has achieved. Jamie Ortega. Uh, two goals. She has 466 career points. Uh, it's the most in ACC history. It's the second most in Division One history. Carolina, Drew told you, 22-0. They've won 57 of their last 59. And both their losses came ironically to BC in the national semifinals uh, last year and the year prior to. So congratulations to Jenny Levy in North Carolina. <clears throat> on being the national champions in women's lacrosse. Acacia Walker-Weinstein in Florida and, uh, and Boston College deserve a tremendous amount of credit on also a spectacular year as well. So while Carolina celebrates the women's lacrosse national championship, Bubba Cunningham's teams and programs are celebrating another championship this morning as well. Scott Forbes in Carolina won the ACC baseball championship. Uh, I got to tell you now, home runs were mandatory in Charlotte last week. We thought the ball might fly out. It did more than that. Every time you turned around, somebody was banging it out of the ballpark. We'll come back and chronicle Carolina's championship in baseball next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Let's do it. ACC baseball in the big city. Truist Field in Uptown Charlotte today. It all tips off. This is the left field. Down the line. And it will leave the yard. Swing and a miss. And NC State wins it 11-8. Well, the ball's flying. Look who's coming up. To the wall and gone. to right field. It's gone! Three home runs to right field in the game for Tommy White. White hits it well. To the wall. Gone! He sets the D1 freshman record for a season. And the legend of Tommy Tanks grows. Driven in the air. Well right center field. This one is It working deep to left, gone. Second homer in as many innings for Vance Honeycutt. North Carolina, they punch their ticket to the semifinals. It's a complete game shutout for Brandon Schaefer. The 3 1 home. Zaretti pulls it left field down in front of Siska. Danny Zaretti delivers. 
2-2. Straight three calls. North Carolina is headed to the ACC title game. And this is as good as it gets, a rivalry game, a title game. Capacity here is 10,200. Do not tell the fire marshal. We might break that. 2-1. Pulls this one. Deep left field. Gone. To the buses in left for Vance Honeycutt. And North Carolina leads. And Vance Honeycutt, first pitch swinging. Left field again. His second of the ball game. First pitch swing into short. Soretti flips. It's over. North Carolina wins the ACC championship. Wow, what a compilation of uh, of the ACC Baseball Championship at Truist Park in Uptown Charlotte over the last week. Some unbelievable individual performances. And, of course, Carolina Drew ends up winning the thing 9-5 yesterday over NC State. Uh, Vance Honeycutt, the star, by the way, of the uh, Tar Heel win yesterday with a pair of home runs. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a bigger star coming out of Charlotte than NC State's freshman Tommy White. Wow, Wes, uh, you went there. Uh, I think Vance Honeycutt was mad about the uh, narrative that Tommy Tanks is the freshman in the ACC, and that's why he's been so good in the month of May and so good in, in the ACC tournament. And mm. Vance and the Honeycutt family and Brian Ives and all the North Carolina fans watching, let the record show that Wes was the one who invoked the name of Tommy Tanks, not me. I, I, no, here's the deal, and I said this on Friday's show with Andrea. I don't care who you are, but when you do it from day one and you back it up and hit three home runs in a ball game at the end of the season too, I mean, we we got all about the nine home runs in the first weekend or whatever the number was in that first week of the season. But the idea that the guy became a thing, I mean, it was like watching Roy Hobbs at times. Now, Carolina deserves credit for winning the event, okay? And the frustration of NC yes. State fans in baseball is real, okay? I get it. Ray Tanner, the athletic director at South Carolina, was in charge of your program the last time you won the ACC baseball championship, and they played the thing in Greenville, South Carolina. I understand that. <laughs> uh, 30 years ago. I get it. Uh, and I also know that the football thing in 79 and the basketball thing in 87 still exists sometimes for NC State fans. I understand all that. And I know it was Carolina, and I know what that's all about. Carolina had the best team. Carolina's the one to me. Scott Forbes, uh, Roddy and I were doing Virginia spring game and had to had the chance to be in Charlottesville that weekend to kind of be around the Carolina-Virginia baseball series. And the Tar Heels were finding ways to lose games in late April. What they did in the month of May to rally and now become one of the four host seeds and I guess potentially a top eight seed nationally. We'll see when the bracket comes out later today. Forbes and his staff deserve a tremendous amount of credit because Carolina, beyond Honeycutt, they did all the things you need to do to win the thing. And that's the that's the part that jumps off the mat to me about where Carolina is as a team. Well, that's one of the teams I'm not sure I want to see if I'm anybody here in the next week or so. Yeah, they've got the best team. They're the hottest team in the country, right? I mean, I know we're ACC Network and We've got our pom-poms out for anyone in the ACC, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a team playing better baseball than Carolina. 
won 15 of their last 17. They've run through Charlotte, the deepest league in the ACC tournament, and make light work of it. Mm-hmm. Vance Honeycutt has become Tommy Tanks. I mean, you know, I'm giving you a hard time about bringing up Tommy Tanks, but the dude is legit, and all the love he gets is, is for real and for good reason, not just because of what he does on the field, but because of you know the the personality and the nickname and the fact that he's a freshman doing this. But Vance Honeycutt has been a better player in the last month of their respective yep. freshman seasons. And it's not just him. I mean, this is a loaded roster. If you if you told a college baseball fan in April, in late April, even in early May, hey, Carolina's going to end up hosting a regional and might host a super as mm-hmm. well, they would have looked at you like you had three heads. But now UNC right. is a team, like you said, Wes, that no one wants to play. And I think that Coach Forbes, what he has done, that guy deserves so much credit because – what, one of the cliches in sports is you never want to be the guy replacing the guy, right? Mike Fox mm, over two right. decades in Chapel Hill, that dude is a legend in baseball. And for Forbes to come in and replace his mentor and in year two do this, win an ACC championship and host a regional, I am just beyond impressed because it would have been easy to crack under the pressure of replacing Mike Fox. Not only is he a legend, but he is your mentor. And for Forbes to do it, it's just amazing. Yeah, and uh, by the way, the ballpark yesterday, packed to the gills, largest title game crowd ever, 10,500 at Truist Park in Uptown Charlotte to watch the championship game. Uh, Honeycutt, by the way, uh, the two-run homer in the first, three-run shot in the second. Carolina led 8-1 to one and essentially cruised to a 9-5 win. You mentioned the finish. Carolina won 15 of their last 17 on the way to their 12th ACC baseball championship, eighth since the conference began determining a champion by tournament in 1973. So Carolina is one of the four schools hosting here, Drew. Virginia Tech, who they beat, by the way, and if you wanted to know where Carolina was, Virginia Tech was steamrolling people in this event early the, earlier in the week. Carolina beat them on Friday night to advance to the semifinals, then beat Notre Dame and then, of course, the win yesterday over NC State. Carolina, Virginia Tech, Miami, and Louisville all set to now be one of the 16 hosts of the uh, of the opening round of the tournament, which starts on Friday. Um, man, I like the Tar Heel chances. By the way, the committee spread this thing out a little bit, like Georgia Southern's hosting uh, for the first time in a long time. East Carolina has drawn another host site. So you could see some ACC teams going uh, in their area – if you know what I mean, like Georgia Tech could potentially be in Statesboro. Um, I would fully expect NC State to potentially be in Greenville. But there are the four ACC regional hosts. Uh, 64 field team announced, um, 64 team field rather, announced at noon today on ESPN2. 28th time Miami's been a host. Louisville for the ninth time. Carolina for the 12th, four of the last five. And Virginia Tech just its second time. But uh, English Field is a is a good spot, and it's the first time since 2013 that the Hokies have drawn a host bid for the NCAA tournament as well. And Wes, I know you've already put in your request to Katzman that you want to go to Statesboro, Georgia. I know uh, you're super <laughs> excited about Georgia Southern hosting a, a, a regional. Uh, I will. I do want to say a couple things about the regional sites. Number one, Notre Dame jobbed by a committee again. This is now potentially the first oh, yeah. report, depending on your perspective, where Notre Dame has gotten the runaround from a committee. We're going to talk about that in Worst of the Weekend, so we'll save it for then. But 
I also have a little sidebar. Speaking of host stadiums for baseball, as you see the RPI, this is just a ridiculously loaded conference. You see the ACC has a bunch of teams in the top 34 of the RPI. Notre Dame has a really good case to be a host as well. But speaking of home stadiums and sites for tournaments, can we stop naming venues after Truist? Can someone be a little creative in the Southeast and think of something other than Truist? Or can someone come in and buy a stadium before Truist does? Because we've got Truist Park with the Atlanta Braves. Actually, let's do this, Wes. There are five stadiums named after Truist, and I'm going to see if you can match the team to the stadium. You ready? Okay. Uh, There's Truist Field in Winston-Salem where Wake Forest plays football, and Paul McCartney played like two weeks ago. Uh, there's Truist Park in Atlanta where the Braves play. There's Truist Park in Winston-Salem where the Winston-Salem Dash play. There is Truist Park in Charlotte where the ACC baseball championship was just played and the AAA of the White Sox, the Charlotte Knights play. That's four, right? I've done four. Mm -hmm. There's one more. And the fifth is, I'm going to guess, in Richmond? Good guess. It's in High Point, North Carolina. Truest Point. That's called Truest now, too? That's called Truest? Oh, yeah. That's Truest as well. They played the – Roddy Jones and uh, Roy Philpott were just there for the Big South Championship, by the way, over the weekend. Wes – Truest won't stop until every sports venue in the country or maybe the world is named after their bank. No, no. Let me let me let me just add this too while we're here. If if you want to get into it, and you know, Truest, look here. I mean, Candy Alexander is with uh, Truest in Winston Salem. Good guy, great guy. Thomas Ransom is a guy who I know with Truest. They're all good people, and they are diving headfirst into sports, which I respect and appreciate. Now, you got to remember the collaborative on this too, right? The merge of two banks, SunTrust and BB&T, created Truist. So there you go. Because some of these places used to be BB&T something or another, field, park, what have you. And SunTrust was well, a park West, in Atlanta. That was the Braves Stadium. It sounds like you're really plugged in with the folks over at Truist. Can someone find out what the word Truist is? Because I understand it was SunTrust and BB&T. How do you get yeah. Truist out of SunTrust and BB&T? Where does the I come from? I actually thought it was a typo. Uh, we were talking about Maria Martin was at the Falcons OTAs. I saw Maria Martin mm-hmm. tweet out that she was covering a game at Truist Park in Atlanta. I'm like, oh, Maria, tough. Like, I wish Twitter had an edit button so you could fix that to Trust Park, which it must be. But it's not. It's Truist Park. No. And that's the only no. Truist Park, for the record, where they played this Baseball tournament in the ACC is Truist Field, which is the same thing that Wake Forest football plays at. So you got football and baseball with the same name. And trust me, the first assignment I ever had at ESPN was Wake Forest football against Old Dominion on ACC Network. And you best believe I was sweating, thinking, am I going to mess up this name? What is this again? Is it Truist Stadium or Truist Field? We play Mm -hmm. football at a park. What is this called? I think it's Wake Forest Field at Truist Stadium or something. I can't keep it all straight. There are too many truths. Here's the way I'd look at it for you, Drew. When you got enough money to put your name on it, you can change the name. (laughs) (laughs) Not if they keep absorbing banks. 
behind the eight hey. ball here. All right. There we go. All right. When we come back uh, Friday, we had a chance to talk to NC State center Grant Gibson. Outstanding prospect, not just for ACC honors this coming year. Outstanding prospect just as a human being. It was a great visit. Andrea Adelson and I talked with Grant. And in case you missed it, it's for you next on Packer, Packer and Durham. Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Welcome back, Packer and Durham, ACC Network. Drew Carter's here next couple of days. We're going to start calling this Mondays with Drew. I think that's what we're going to do. Mondays with Drew. Uh, Packer will be back next Monday. You just want to hop in for a segment when Packer comes back just to check in, make sure your Monday's (laughs) going okay. Is that all right? That sounds great. I'm actually going to be in Florence. Um, So I'll I'll be tweeting some photos of my trip to Italy and Okay, I'll wait, 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 in, no, no. As no, we've no. established, let the Wi Fi is great. So. L- let me let me tell you this. You're gonna be in Florence, South Carolina, or Florence, Alabama. You're not gonna be <laughs> in Florence, Italy next Monday. <laughs> That's all I'm telling you. All right. Uh Grant Gibson was with us um on Friday, and he was terrific as he always is. And we started off by talking about Gibson being one of many who are coming back for NC State to try and run it back to bigger and better things. The year that we had last year, like, yeah, like we had a great year, but we all understand that we can do so much more. And the guys that came back, we really have one goal, and that's to win the whole thing. And so that's my goal for this year, and that's why, why like, I wanted to come back and play with this team again. Grant, obviously we've seen what the expectations are going to be nationally, and it sounds like mm-hmm. you all have those expectations for yourselves. And our preseason uh, power rankings in the top 25 way too early, uh, NC State's in the top 10. How do you mm-hmm. feel the team can handle those outside expectations while also knowing you've got those expectations for yourselves? The key thing is that we have older guys on this team who kind of know how to deal with this. Um, so we kind of just tune out the noise and we and we just go play. You know, um, we understand that we have to work hard this offseason, which we have done. Uh, this team had a great spring. The guys that came back were all just willing to, you know, just go out there and play hard. And, you know, like we hear the noise, but we also understand that if you let it get to you, then it's going to mess up the year. So we understand with the year that we had this past year that everybody's going to have their eye on us. And so we want to make sure that we just go out there and that we're prepped to play every game. Grant, in in some ways, you've kind of worked for this point, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the the interesting part about NC State's emergence. I mean, you, you don't you don't practice as hard as you do, win as many games as you guys have, bring back all these proven guys to go. Oh, okay, we hope it works out. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to be successful. What kind of different mindset do you have to talk to younger guys about? Guys who are just showing up to be part of the product, who have you know, kind of seen the last couple of years and then said, okay, I want to be a part of that too. Yeah. So the wild thing is like, because I've been here, so this next fall will be my sixth season. I've seen the highs and lows of NC state. Like three years ago, we went four and eight and to see where we're at now, like I me, mean, it's like, it was a lot of hard work that, that took this, that took it to get here. And, you know, so we just tell those guys like, listen, like it hasn't always been easy. Like, we had to work hard for this, and we want them to understand that, listen, like, if you're going to come join this team, then you have to be willing to work and, and fall in line. I mean, it's like we want guys that want to work hard and that understand that, listen, like, these guys have really truly worked for this and that they're going to go get it this year. 
Mm. Your your quarterback, Devin Leary, was also a part of that 4-8 team. There's a a strong core of veterans who are returning. And we spent a lot of time over the last two days talking about returning quarterbacks in the ACC and just how strong that group is. Your coach has been very vocal about saying, we have the best quarterback in the country coming back. Grant, from your perspective, why do you think Devin Leary is the best quarterback in the country, and especially in the ACC? He's, he is by far the best. Um, like the way that he plays, the way that he can control the game, he's always calm and poised. Um, I've never seen this man get like rattled in a game. And he just comes out there and he mm. has complete control over the team. And just to see that up close and to see how well he takes care of the ball and he finds and extends plays, um, I don't think that there's anybody else that can do that. And I'm just glad that he's, that he's on our team because he really does make a difference. And he's a great guy as well. So, yeah. Grant, do you buy into the coaching continuity? I had some conversations with Coach Doran a little bit in the last month about just the staff staying basically the same. Do you believe in the value of that too as a player? Yes, absolutely. Like I mean, it's like everybody here has been here for at least two years now, um, and so the and so the fact that we all get to stay on the same team and get to work with the same staff, um, like we feel like we're going to just pick up where we left off. And that's huge for this team is to just be able to, you know, just get going again as soon as we can. So but I think that the whole staff staying made a huge impact as well. Hmm. All right. What Wes brought up the coaches. So, you know, I have to go there. There's continuity in the coaching staff, but <laughs> Coach Doran's got some facial hair. He's been growing this beard uh, yeah. since what happened at the Holiday Bowl. Uh, <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down on the beard. What, what do you think about it? Oh, I love careful it. Careful now, uh, big like, fella. I mean, careful now. Like, careful listen, now. I think, like, this is me being honest with you. But I think that it, that it looks good on him. Um, I think that, you know, like, it shows he's blue-collared. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what NC State is. And so I think that it fits well for him and also for just the way that this team is. So, so I like it. I'm a fan of it. All right. Here's the, here's the other question. We've, we've talked to you about Devin. And yet we found ourselves in a little bit of a discussion yesterday regarding who's going to catch the football. So you've been through spring. You've been through these summer workouts. So who's catching the football this year, Grant? Who's going to catch the football? I mean, there are a lot of guys that have some catches, but, I mean, there are other guys that have been, you know, Mecca caught a lot of footballs over there Mm -hmm. in four years, man. So I think the thing about this team is you have guys that have been waiting for this chance, uh, like Devin Carter, uh, Thayer Thomas, Porter Rooks as well. Um, You know, like these guys are just waiting on their turn. And, you know, like it's their time to step up. And I think that's something that, you know, that we preach with this team is just always be ready. And I feel like uh, those guys are because, you know, like they understand that, you know, with Meg leaving that, you know, like they have to take the next step. And that's what they're going to do. All right, uh, wait a second. mm Mm-hmm. Let me let me check in here. Thayer Thomas is back. How many years is this for Thayer Thomas? It's about seven or eight for Thayer Thomas, isn't it? Nah, this will be six. So me and him, so we came in together. Uh, so yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So like older guys, you know, like we have, like like on this team right now, it'll be me, Isaiah Moore, Th- Thayer, and Bryson Speeds who have been here for six years. So I mean, like you have some older guys on this team that know how this works now. Yes, sir. Older guys, Grant. Six years is beyond the older guy. Okay, let's just get some let's get some lines of demarcation here. When you stay six, Andrew, can we safely say that six? Like John Patrician, I'm gonna tell you now. John Patrician at Pitt got on me last year. Mm-hmm. 
He said, okay, look, I've been playing football seven years. I get it. I'm old. But don't have to tell everybody every time I've been there seven years. So, I mean, you know, six. I mean, we get to six. You kind of been there a while, man. Like, listen, we hear about it every day. Like, oh, you're the old man on the team. I'm like, listen, I know, but it's like. I mean, like, I'm just glad that I'm back, you know? Uh, like, I mean, it's like we hear it all the time. Like, these, like, I didn't know that I was going to be at State for six years. Um, but, you know, but it's worked out well. <laughs> well, Grant Gibson mentioned there are about a half dozen guys, six-year guys at NC State, Drew. So, six-year guys will lead NC State this year, no question, uh, including the ones that he was just mentioning, Isaiah Moore, Bryson Spees, Thayer Thomas, all category guys who are going to help NC State this fall for sure. And in the current stage of college football, West, with a bunch of teams with COVID eligibility guys, you sort of need mm. that, I think. That's sort of become a necessity over the last couple of years. I remember Wake Forest had a couple seventh-year guys last year, including yep. Fox on the D-line was a seventh-year guy. But you can tell Grant Gibson's been in college for a while. He's a smart dude. Uh, complimenting the boss's beard. And I just want to say, hey, if, if Aaron Katzman ever grows facial hair, it's going to look really good. I, I know it already. I think he'd look awesome with facial hair or without facial hair. It just looks good anyway. There you go. There. Nice job. Way to play up. Uh, when we come back, uh, best and worst of the weekend on a Packer and Durham Monday. Drew Carter's in. Remark, who continues to enjoy Italy. We enjoyed women's lacrosse. Baseball and more on the good side. Oh, some softball is on the bad side when we come back. Packer and Durham.